If you would, please turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 5. The book of Exodus, chapter 5. And we're going to begin our reading in verse 20 of Exodus, chapter 5. We're going to read through the chapter mark to verse 8 of chapter 6. Again, we're going to read Exodus, chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. Read through the chapter mark in chapter 6 down to verse 8 of chapter 6. All right, Exodus chapter 5, verse 20. And they, and these are the foremen over the um, Israelites that are working, or the taskmasters is what we often hear them called, and that's who the they are. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. They said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name... He hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt excuse me, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of this land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of the pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel. Whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. I conclude our reading this evening. That's reading... Exodus chapter 5, verse 20 through chapter 6, verse 8. And apologize for my struggle in the reading tonight. Our scripture, or our title tonight, will be taken from four different places in this that you no doubt perceived um, in the reading. The title of the message tonight is, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Now... Most of you know the situation in which this has occurred. Moses has gone out to, he has fled from Egypt. He has spent 40 years um, out 
and found a wife and began a family. And one day he was looking and saw a, a bush that kept burning and was never consumed. And he stepped closer to that bush and it was the Lord that began to speak to him. And at that ripe old age of 80 years old, he was assigned and commissioned to what he would be doing the rest of his life. And that was he was going to serve and function as a deliverer for God's people who had been in bondage for a long time. He goes back, and things only get worse. You would think God has commissioned you for this. He's told you this is what you're going to do. You're going to lead these people who are groaning and crying out to me. You're going to lead them out of Egyptian bondage. And you go back. And rather than being met with celebration, rather than being met with an initial opportunity to swiftly bring them out, you come back and you begin to do what God has told you to do. And the situation worsens. And as the situation worsens, you likely know the, the, the background of this part of the story that basically what happened is as they were enslaved, they were responsible for making bricks. And I suppose, I don't know much about brick making, but I suppose making using straw was a part of the process that would make it much easier. And so Pharaoh, in an attempt to worsen their situation and make it more difficult, requires the same quota as to what they're supposed to make but removes an element that he provided that would have made the task much easier. After that quota is not met, the foremen of the Israelites are beaten by the taskmasters of Egypt. And after being beaten, Moses and Aaron have left from Pharaoh. And as they have left, these foremen of the Israelites meet Moses and Aaron... And they say, God is going to judge you. Ever since you came and promised deliverance, and ever since you have came and talked to Pharaoh on our behalf, everything about our life has gotten worse. And so he, they are angry with him. The very people that God has commissioned Moses to deliver are now crying out for him to be judged of God. And that's where our text picked up. Is that after Moses is, I will say, harassed by these men. In chapter, five, or in chapter 6, we read that Moses then goes to the Lord. And he begins to tell the Lord, Lord, the people have not been delivered, and that's why you sent me here. None of what you promised me has occurred. And furthermore, the situation for them is just getting worse. What do I do? What are you trying to accomplish? And chapter 6 begins with the Lord's mighty response to Moses. And that's what I want to look at tonight is is Moses' response and then the preceding events of what God does in this occurrence. But I can't help but notice in Moses' prayer in verse 23, and I want to read this to you. It says this, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name... He hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Now I might, before we get into the next part of this, I might breathe a word of encouragement or speak a word of encouragement rather to those of us 
that are saved. Since I have been here, and I know this long precedes me, all I can speak of is my time having been here. I believe the church has, over the last number of revivals, and even intermittently between those revivals, we have tried to diligently apply our hearts and our prayers to seeing these lost people saved. And we've had a number of spiritual revivals. Ones which many of you have, I'll say, come out of your shell. Been willing to participate and engage and serve the Lord in a capacity that God has called you to do. And I sincerely, for whatever it means to you, applaud you for that. That's what church is meant to be, is God's people gathering together. And it's not for the preacher to put on a show, but it's for the people to collectively worship God as His Spirit leads them to do so. And we have reiterated over and over from this pulpit... Revival after revival and Wednesday night services that precedes that, that if we'll just continue to be faithful and we will continue to pray, that we'll continue to seek after God's will and obey Him and attend the services and apply our hearts to the Lord, that He will indeed bless us with a mighty revival. And though we have seen mercy drops fall around us, I think we can all say that we're not satisfied to the degree that we want to be. That there remains things left to be done. Growth within the membership, and I'm not talking about numerically, but spiritually. That there are many people here that still need to spiritually grow. Still need to develop their spiritual lives, as Brother Gerald mentioned last night, outside of these four walls and not during the season of revival. Those seasons of development need to still be cultivated. We have people who have had a private profession of salvation, not just one or two, but many who have said, yes, I've been born again, but have refused at this time to add their light to the candlestick and to follow the Lord in obedience by being baptized and being a disciple, a student of the Lord. We have lost people that have sought faithfully, who have prayed at every chance that it seems like they get. We have others who have perceivably been unmoved. From all outward appearance. And we have those that are in between. There have been a number of things that have transpired since, again, only the time that I can say that I've been here. And I think we can all agree that it is insufficient to what we desire. And I think verse 23, where Moses' heart and attitude is at, here as he has been sent towards accomplishing this task, may very well be where some people here are at. And that is, Lord, I have attempted to empty myself as much as I can. And I have sought you. And I have seen these lost people seek, <clears throat> seek after you. And Lord, <clears throat> it seems like the situation only grows worse. That sinners are only hardened. And people are not responding as freely as perhaps what we desire them to be. And so if that is where your heart has been, or that is where Satan has left you, I want you to listen tonight to what the Lord tells to Moses, because it is a rather potent response. Because couched within that sentiment is a whole lot of doubt, perhaps even unintentionally. 
It's a whole lot of a lacking of faith and trusting circumstance and outward perception and not trusting who God is. And so let me remind you for a moment who the Lord is with his very own words. The very first thing that he says to Moses after Moses finishes is something that deserves 10 exclamation points. A very short, concise, but but powerful comment. He simply says, I am the Lord. And he reiterates that four times in the text. As though to tell Moses... Don't forget who you're dealing with here. You may have stood before Pharaoh in all of his power. You may be at this moment standing in the breach between two kingdoms that need deliverance. But don't forget who I am. I am the Lord. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am the one who was called, and he uses the Hebrew word, El Shaddai. They knew me as God Almighty. But they did not know me as Jehovah. Now, I think what he's trying to illustrate there is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew him as God, and that God had made him all these these covenant promises, but they had not observed his mighty acts before their eyes to the degree to which Moses was going to. And so he said, they know me, but you're going to come to know me as something altogether different than what they personally observed. Because what your eyes are going to behold is the most powerful being that the world has ever known. And just know that's who that I am. He continues in this prayer and he tells him, I have heard the groanings of my people, the Hebrews. I know the covenant and I remember the covenant promise that I made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that after 430 years, I promised those men from that day of the promise until the very day that their descendants would exit out of Egypt. Since that promise was made to the very day, I intend to fulfill my promise to them. And whether Moses realized it or not, that anniversary date was right there and it was about to be fulfilled. And the Lord is reassuring them, I know who I am, don't forget who I am. And I would echo those sentiments tonight to those of us who have prayed, to those of us who have sought the Lord on our loved one's behalf, to those of us who have yearned to see more take place than is what has taken place. Let us not forget who the Lord is. Let us not think that there is some tough situation that he's in here at this church, that there are lost people who he is just confounded at what to do, that there are people who are confused, that there are people who are backslidden, that there is some situation that is somehow troubling to the Lord and that he is trying a variety of tactics to reach them. Listen, we're dealing with God here and God has the power at any moment to exercise all the dominion of the universe And to speak to that troubled heart and what he's about to do 
moments after that he speaks to to Moses is to display just in a small degree the mighty power that he has upon these people. And so what if we stand right at this place where, yes, we have come over and over awaiting God's blessing, and yet we're just standing moments before what God is about to display before our mighty eyes that our eyes and our minds would not believe. We don't know that. But I trust this, that if we'll faithfully continue to groan, God will faithfully answer. That's who he is. He knows when we come to the end of our hoarded resources. He knows when we get to the end of our strength and our fatigue is past what we thought we had within us. God knows those moments and desires us even past those moments to ask for his strength that we might press on further. He tells Moses that in these verses. And then he tells him, He doesn't say, this is what I'm planning to do. This is what I hope to do. This is what I hope works out in the very end. That's not how God speaks. No, God says, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to do this. And there's no power on earth that will somehow, whether it's the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and the most mighty king on the face of the planet, there is no more stubborn sinner that can somehow determine that they're going to alter God's will or manipulate his purposes. None of that is going to transpire. God is going to do what he determines to do. And so that's what he says in verse 7. He declares, and that's how God speaks. He speaks in declarations. Even when he asks questions, they're in the form to to prompt us to consider and to think. But very often within that question is a statement that he is trying to make. Is a declaration that he is causing to come before us. And here's what he says in verse 7. I will take you to me for a people. Notice he doesn't talk about Pharaoh and the obstacle that that's going to be. He just says... You're going to be my people. I will be to you a God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you in unto the land concerning that which I did swear to to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. Tonight, we deal with the Lord. And I want to give us just, I wanted to take just a few moments to tell you that. But I want to also pull your attention to verse 1 of our scripture reading in chapter 6 because this is a really important point as well. Now imagine this. He had just gone to Pharaoh and tried to negotiate the release. I'll say negotiate. Tried to request the release or demand the release of relief of God people. Pharaoh at this moment has the perceivable power. Pharaoh says, I'm going to make the situation worse. And then notice how confident that God is of what he can do. He first tells him, I'm the Lord. And then he next says this. Not only is Pharaoh, notice the the descriptions that he uses of Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh is not only going to let you go, he's actually going to drive you out of here. 
So notice what God is saying is I have such a power in me that this man who is obstinate, this man who is determined not to let you go and is determined to show his power to you and make your lives miserable, who will not allow you to escape to this place where I have set forth for you. Not only is he going to do what I have determined he's going to do, but he's also going to say, you must get out of here. I'm going to demand your relief. And has it not been the case? Have you not heard testimonies in times past where people were determined not to seek the Lord? People were determined to not act a certain way. Sister Ann just testified a few nights ago that she had witnessed these people up testifying and doing things in a certain way. And she said to herself, I would never do something like that. And before the time that the Lord saved her, she found herself in the exact position that she had determined she would never be in. Here, Pharaoh was resolved he was not going to do something. Before it was all over, the powerful God that we serve, he was not only going to do the opposite, he was going to do the extreme opposite from what his heart had determined. I want to say that before we continue tonight. To those of you who may have little faith tonight, who are struggling in your faith to believe what God is going to do here, what God can do here in our church, how he can affect the souls of those people, the 29 that Sister uh, Peggy mentioned this morning, the other 15 that she mentioned from her Sunday school classes, the other uh, spouses and children and grandchildren, before that our minds be clouded with the doubt of this world and our, our own sinful and carnal hearts, let us not doubt that what God can do is radically change the situation beyond what we could even ask or think. God has that power. And what we must persist in doing is groaning to him because he promises us that he hears us. I want to cover very quickly what God begins to do before these people. The first thing that he does is Moses goes stands before. I'm going to leave out a whole lot of details, so forgive me tonight. I'm going to try to be as brief and quick as I can. Moses stands before Pharaoh and he tells him, I'm going to make sure this Nile River, if you won't let God's people go, this Nile River is going to turn to blood and all the fish are going to die and it's going to have a stench. And you're not going to have anything to drink in Egypt. Now remember, if we study history and we know what the Bible teaches us, that the Hebrews didn't live directly in Egypt, where the palace was at, where Pharaoh lived. They lived in what I would call a suburb of Egypt. They lived in Goshen. So it was some small distance. We don't exactly know. We know that it was somewhere to the east of where the Egypt and where the palace was at. And so they had their own water sources. If the historical place where Goshen is, is presumed to be, they had their own water sources. And that's an important detail because what we're going to find is that the first nine plagues are only affecting the Egyptians. And so this first one is that they have the Nile River and that Nile River is going to be turned to blood and exactly what God predicts through Moses is exactly what occurs and the people begin to go to the Nile after seven days and they're looking for water and they're thirsty and the stink is rising up before them and yet Pharaoh continues to harden his heart and God's people are not let go. We get to the next situation that they're faced with and it's with frogs. Frogs come before the people, but again, it only is found in Egypt. It is not found in Goshen, and that's an important detail. Those frogs are everywhere in so much that after they die, they take their bodies and they heap them up in 
huge piles because of how many frogs they were in their homes, in their kitchens, in their beds where they slept, everywhere that they were at. God used that. Now, what we come to find out, and I won't talk in any, in any detail about this, but these things were various gods that the Egyptians served. And so the very thing that the Egyptians are trusting in is the very thing that God is attacking. And so they have a frog God, and as strange as that sounds to us, it was a prominent God in their pantheon of gods. And thus, here God is plaguing them with the very idol that they're trying to worship, except that idol is not becoming a God, but rather a curse to their lives. Then flies come before them. From what I understand, that the King James uses the term flies, but the best that I can understand, it was, it was bugs that, that bit Something that had a bite to it. And this is a notable occurrence. Because this third plague that God sends upon the people, the first three really, the first one was whenever Moses miraculously had his staff turned into a serpent right before the people. The soothsayers and the magicians were able to replicate through their magic, through their witchcraft. And I'm not going to get into what that might have been, but they were able to replicate some of these. But finally they get to this third one and these bugs are all over the place and they're biting the people and the people are drastically impacted. And finally, one of, one of the uh, uh, allies of Pharaoh comes, these magicians, and say, listen, there's nothing we can do about this one. This one has even gotten a hold of us. So don't look to our power to try to mitigate the damage of what's going on here in Egypt. But I'll note, Goshen is still safe. After the flies come, livestock comes. And there's a disease that comes amongst the livestock And all the animals, not just the cattle, but from the best I can understand, the donkeys and all of those animals get a disease. And the Bible tells us those in Egypt, all their cattle die. Now notice over and over that each of these, many of them have a stench directly associated with it. I can't help but believe that the purpose of the stench is that you could never escape the new reality you were living in. It was constantly a reminder. You couldn't go anywhere without the odor of God's judgment resting upon you. After the disease, the livestock, the boils hit the people. I've never had a boil, thankfully. I've met people who have. And I've been told that those boils, those skin sores that people have, they've just had one. People that I've spoken to, I know my grandmother, my maternal grandmother had a boil. And she remembered it for decades after that she had it because of how painful it was. Perhaps there have been people here that have had boils. And these people, these Egyptians, were covered all over their bodies with boils. In so much that now not only were the magicians and the soothsayers, those right-hand men to Pharaoh, not coming out to Moses and trying to rebuke him, but they were so affected by it, they couldn't even show up. Because God was so humbling and pronouncing his power before 
the people. Following the boils, the hail comes. I want to read to you what happens after the hail comes. It says this in chapter 9, verse 25. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. Moses warns Pharaoh. He says, listen, it's coming. And it's going to destroy. If, if there is an animal outside, if there is a person outside, the hail is going to be so strong, it's going to kill everybody. All of your crops are going to be killed. Everything is going to be affected in your life. Except for little Goshen is protected. This gets so bad. Pharaoh runs to Moses. And he pleads with Moses. And he says, okay. I can't take it anymore. That's enough. You need to stop all this because it's, it's affecting every... There's, there's another, one of his, his right-hand men, one of his magicians come to him, his servants come to him, and they plead with him. And they say to Pharaoh, please stop this. Look at Egypt. All of this is ruined. You must get this stopped. And so Pharaoh goes before Moses and pleads that he would just stop this. And so Moses does. He goes and he prays. And God takes it all away. But guess what? Once it passes and once it's lightened, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart returns. And he starts back just where he began, except for probably a little bit worse off. I want to pause for a moment there, sinner friend, and tell you this. You may plead and hope that tonight we are through. You may hope that we're going to stop revival this evening. I know that was always the thought and the prayer of my heart whenever I was lost. Is I had my mind set upon that day when we were going to end. And I either needed to get saved by then or everybody just leave me alone by that date. But listen, you may escape the heavy feeling for a moment. But God's judgment will still rest upon you. You cannot escape God. You may escape the temporary pressures that you feel here. But my prayer is it will only worsen when you consider the reality that you have not only not repented of your sins, but done exactly what Pharaoh has done, and that is ignored the graces of God and hardened your heart to his attempt to convince you that you need to repent of your sins and trust in his son. Tonight, I'll tell you this. If we end tonight, you are in a worse state than when we begun. Do you realize that? You're worse off today. Than what you were 10 days ago. Because God's judgment is still upon you. But your consciousness of his judgment may have fled. Pharaoh prays to Moses. Pleads and tells him. So Moses does and God relents. But guess what? There's still three more plagues. The locusts come. 
I do the same things that the other bugs have done. They get all invested in their, involved in the lives of these people. And so he comes before him. And remember what Moses is trying to do is get deliverance for the people of God. And so here's what Pharaoh says. And this is so typical of what lost people will do. Pharaoh says, all right, all right. I will comply in part to your request. If the men want to leave, you men can go ahead and depart and never return. But the children must stay. But listen, the God of the universe does not broker deals with people. The God of the universe does not seek for you to somehow bargain with him and offer him some good offer that might benefit you some and what might benefit him some. No, God says do this and you either obey or you don't obey. There's no in-between. There's no 99% uh, complying with his demands. There is complete compliance or there is none. God demands your perfect, complete obedience to his conditions. And that is a complete surrender. We used the analogy this morning of that boy that jumped from the height of that barn. Listen, there's not a partial jump. You're either jumping or you're not. Moses tries to broker a deal. You know what Moses says? Absolutely not. God doesn't bargain like that. You either let us all go, or none of us are leaving. Well, Pharaoh's heart is hardened once again. Then finally, then I don't say finally, the ninth plague, the last, uncondi- how do I want to say this? The last well, I'll just say the ninth plague. Darkness falls upon Egypt. And the Bible says this. Something that's always just made me kind of go, ooh. It says it was a darkness you could feel. There was a, a void a sensible void in the darkness. But in Goshen, in the homes, there was light. They weren't affected by the darkness. I want to say that tonight because I tried to reiterate over and over as we went through these nine plagues. I want you to notice the the distinction that happens here. In Egypt, they are suffering terribly from all of these ways that God is expressing his judgment against them and against Pharaoh. And yet in Goshen, not one of these nine things has harmed the people whatsoever. And listen to me, lost friend, tonight. That is the difference between the people that sit in this crowd this evening. I want you to know that over the past 10 days as the preaching has gone forward and Sunday after Sunday as preachers have labored for years to proclaim the gospel here and the gospel when it goes out in power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and you can begin to feel it in your soul that you know it's true. You can be sitting right next to one another and one person's heart can be living in Goshen and the other person's heart can be living in Egypt. You can feel the most, the greatest torments, the greatest sorrow, the greatest brokenness and contrition. Your heart can can be crushed and sitting right next to you 
hearing the exact same message, understanding and perceiving the exact same spiritual realities is someone living in Goshen, protected by the power because they sit amongst the people of God, those who have been born again that know him, and we can see you in absolute brokenness, and yet we ourselves be rejoicing because we know that all of God's judgments do not apply to us. And we can celebrate and we can worship the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, knowing that no matter what judgment lies ahead for the world, he has protected us and will protect us both now and forever. Goshen is protected. And here's the beautiful part. We will always be protected. God's hand will always be with us. It is a wonderful thing. I can remember after I got saved, remembering I never have to feel that way again. And that sometimes, it rarely does, but occasionally it comes to my mind when I see other lost people that are calling out to God. I'll for just a moment say, God, thank you that that will never be me. And thank you that if they find you tonight, it never has to be them. Well, that's the promise that God offers to you, that you can make peace tonight and never have a sleepless night ever again. That as you sit and listen to the proclamation of God's word, I remember uh, just talking to Brother Ferris earlier this week, and he, he talked about, I believe Kathleen told me this, she talked to their, uh, their second son, Eli, and, and she was asking him about what it's like now that he's been saved. He said, everything is so different whenever I go to church. Absolutely it is so different. You begin to understand why the people, as we did this morning, can rejoice in God's goodness. Because we know that no matter what befalls this world, God is saving us. Consistently saving us from all the problems that this world will face. There are times that I look at some of you older ones who have faithfully continued in your course in your service to the Lord, and I envy you just a bit if, if nature takes its course and you go before I do, knowing that God has protected you all of this time and that you're about to enjoy an eternal protection where you will even not know of the harms of this former world. But we got to get to the tenth one, and I'm done. All of these nine, Pharaoh was able to He was able to somehow harden himself to. On this one, God provided conditional immunity. The previous night, he protected those in Goshen. But this tenth one, immunity was conditional. There was something that had to take place before you were protected. Now, I thought today, we have people in the world that are in the midst of a war. We know the war going on in Russia and Ukraine, and lost friend, God has spared you. You don't have to face that. There are people in that continent of Africa, I would be tempted to say the majority, though it's probably not that, who face hunger, famine, drought. And for them, I remember just a couple years ago, Brother Tom Alande, who comes to our ministry school, was a teacher this year at our minister school. I remember him putting on Facebook and pleading with his American friends to pray for rain. 
because it had been months with no rain. And God has spared this wonderful land of such fears. You see, so many of the things that drive people to their knees, so many of the things that cause people to call out to God, you've been immune to. You and I have not experienced. But there is something that is going to be universal. There is an enemy in this world. Our last enemy, our great enemy, that every person will face. You can live in Goshen. You can live in Egypt. But the death angel is going to pass by. Every single one of us. And so God made these provisions. And he told him at the time, he said, I want you to get a lamb. And he gave all the description. I'm not going to go into that tonight. Give all the description of how this lamb should be prepared. What you should do with it. And he said, when you're finished, I want you to take the blood. Put it over the doorpost. Put it on the side. That way, at midnight, when the... You know, in the, in the original Hebrew, I, the best I understand, we call it the death angel. I think this, this description, this original Hebrew word is a little better. The destroyer was the name of him. He's going to pass by. And when he sees the blood, he won't visit your home. But if he doesn't see the blood... And he says this, from the king down to the prisoner in jail and every home in between, the destroyer destroyer will come into your home and destroy or kill your firstborn. And so the people in Goshen, having heard this warning, go out. I would imagine being a father, loving my son Judson. I would go out, I'd take this blood, and I would take that hyssop. I would get it real thick. You know when you're painting? I'm not just trying to do a touch-up job. I want to splatter it all over. And I imagine as you walked through, you know, it's not pretty. Listen to me. The doorpost at Egypt just preceding midnight looked a little bit better than the, door, the doorposts in Goshen. But blood was applied. The Passover, we call it as a feast, but you know what the Passover actually was? It was the lamb. He was called the Passover. He was the instrument. He was the object that caused the destroyer to pass over. And not enter into that home. And so imagine that night. I can assure you, as you could probably assure me, I wouldn't have slept a wink. Now, I don't know that they had time like we do today. I don't know that they had watches like we do where they could just check the time. But the Bible tells us this. That a great cry was heard from Egypt that night. 
like no other that had ever been heard. Because exactly what God determined was exactly what took place. The destroyer, there was nothing you could do to prevent him. You know, Moses' mother, she ran and put her baby in a basket and put him down the river and, you know, protected him. And, and what was it? Mary and Joseph, they fled to Egypt and they protected their baby child. We have all these different accounts where people would make, if you knew that something was going to happen. But listen, God is a spirit. And God, whenever he brings death upon a person, it is their spirit which exits this mortal body. No doctor that performs CPR and surgery can stop when God removes your spirit from your body. Remember, he is the Lord. He is God. And all he has to do is send his angels. All he has to do is speak And your life is over. The saying that God told to Moses came true. Not only did they leave, but Pharaoh said, get out. God told Moses and the people of Israel, he said, your exodus is going to be so fast Go ahead and put your sandals on. Go ahead and be prepared. Because once this happens, you're all gone. The cry was heard. And there was nothing Pharaoh could do about it to stay God's power. This evening, if you're lost, I want to tell you with no hesitation... The destroyer is coming. God this week, thus far, has sent nine days of warning. And today is day number 10. And what will you do if that death angel passes by your house tonight? What plan do you have? What recourse will you take? God is God. And you have no power or might to refuse Him. If you feel small, you ought to. You ought to feel smaller than what you do. You feel powerless, you ought to because you're much less powerless than what you think you are. God is God. And when he determines to do what he is going to do, it can be considered done. Tonight, as we said this morning, you have tonight. And we do what Moses did. We plead with you, Pharaoh. Because listen to me, you are the Pharaoh of your own heart. You're the king of your own heart. If you determine to harden yourself, that is in your power. And we can come being used of God. And brothers and sisters can get up and wreak havoc in your heart. Wreak plagues in your heart by the words and testimonies, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yielded through their testimonies and through their life upon you. But ultimately, 
God in his grace will reach and reach and reach for you. But you are the king of your heart. And you must humbly surrender with no conditions to God Almighty. And know him as God Almighty. This week we have told you about two kings. One was Nebuchadnezzar. God used one profound incident. And not only did it lead to his salvation, it led to him declaring it to all the provinces of the earth, the greatness of God and the lowliness of his own rule. Because his heart was surrendered. And now we tell you about the other king in the Bible that ought to become a proverb, is a proverb to all of us, is a byword, I think they call it. And that is that man who despite the most powerful displays in all of Scripture, you know the Psalms write about all the powerful displays that are observed here. And yet you remain the king of your own heart. But what I do to you is what Moses did to Pharaoh. I plead with you tonight. I plead with you tonight. Won't you let God apply the blood to your heart? Won't you trust that what Christ has done is sufficient to protect you now? And when the destroyer passes by, listen, I've said in recent weeks over and over, it is amazing that we truly have nothing to fear in death. Paul said it has no power over it. None. No power. No power means no power. None. Not even the power of fear it ought to have over us because we know the blood is there. The blood was shed and it's there and it's there forever. And you will never wash that blood away. Tonight, I give you the invitation. And lying before you are two choices. You can surrender. Or you can harden your heart. The choice is yours. No, God is the Lord. Let us that are Christians take hope. And let that same statement beget fear in the hearts of those that are lost. He is God. And he will do with you as he pleases.